Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, there you go. How are you guys doing today? Glad you guys are here. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor. In case you're new, I uh, just know I'm new too. <laughs> so we're new together. And so I've been here for about three months, uh, started in March, and uh, having a wonderful ride. We've been going through this series called Worthy, a series on worship, and really kind of looking at what the Bible has to say about this activity of worship. This thing that we do when people come in the room, maybe you're new, and you're like, this whole singing thing, there's a band, the songs are about God. What is going on there? Uh, what is the heart of that? What's the point of this? Why are we doing this? Am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? And, and I just uh, kind of remind you what we've learned so far week one and week two. Week one, we learned that worship is not about a place. It's about a person. Okay, we, we found out it's not about any externals. It's not about where you do it. It's not necessarily even about how you do it. It's not about uh, um, high beats, low beats, fast songs, slow songs, old songs, new songs. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about a person. And to focus on the periphery of anything else is to miss the whole heart of worship, which is me engaging with my God and, and, and saying you're worthy. We found out in week two, that was last week, that oh, the word worship is just two words combined together, worthy and ship. When you add worthy and ship, together, you get worship. And the idea is we're just proclaiming the worthyship of God, that, that in the process, I can learn that God is worthy and, that, and, and I might grow smaller in my mind as he grows bigger in my mind. And so we talked about that. The bigger God gets in your mind, the more you will worship him. As God gets bigger in your brain, you will see, oh my gosh, he's way up here. I'm way up here. He's more valuable. I am not as valuable, although I'm still valuable. He sent his son to die for me. But the point is he's bigger. And so as he gets bigger, I start worshiping him because I put him in his due spot. I put him on the appropriate pedestal and I worship him. And then we also talked about how that will translate into singing. And the Bible, as we will see today again, the Bible, the mode of worship has always been singing. That you, Something would go from my heart into my brain and come out of my mouth as I say, God, i got to put you on this pedestal. i got to worship you. i got to count you worthy. And so today we're going to look at the idea of, of expression within worship. So uh, there's lots of different expressions in worship. Which one is right and which one is wrong? Can I clap? Can I put my hands in the air? Can I, can I tap my toes? Can I, can I move a little bit? You know, all these different ideas. Do I sit down? Do I stand? Can I kneel? All these different ideas. What is the appropriate expression in worship? Is there a right way to do it as far as it relates to expression in the worship gathering together? And so before we get there, I just wanted to share, because I always thought it was interesting, how, where do we find expression kind of, um, kind of growing except for in our children? I don't know if you notice this. Maybe you don't have children yet, but maybe you have someone in your family, you have a niece or a nephew, something of that nature, where you're watching kids develop, and as they grow, you see them develop, and you, you see the, expression, the expressions of life hit them, and it's really fun to watch. Uh, my wife and I, um, I had two children 17 months apart. Uh, um, so we had one, and then 10 months later, we had another one. Is that how that works? No, 10 months later, we got pregnant, and then we had another one. And so um, anyway, it was the biggest mistake of, I mean, bliss, blessing of our life. And, and, and But you can imagine the first couple, three years were difficult, you know. We got a one-month-old and a 17-month-old, and, you know, they, you know, none of them can talk, but they can poop. You know what I mean? And, and they cry and they scream and all these things. And I remember looking at my wife one time going, if we want to leave, we have to make that decision an hour and a half before we leave. 
because we're going to have to get the diaper bags, two of them. There's butt paste and all, and the pacifier and all these things and a backup bottle. And, all, you know, all, you have to get all these things ready. It would take us an hour and a half to get out the door. And it's amazing to me that in the midst of all that, even as small little infant children, it was, probably wasn't 12, 15 months, you can already see like a temperament established in a child. Have you ever seen that? It's amazing. Like you, I can see the temperament in my little boy or my little girl so early in life. Um, I'm not going to tell you which one's which. You're going to have to figure that out. But I had one that was inquisitive about everything. You know, two years old, all the questions start flying, asked questions about everything, opened every door, challenged every directive, you know, that kind of drama-filled child type of thing. And then I had another one who was kind of very, very low maintenance. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Because you imagine if you had two of the same, you know, kind of thing, but gave me one, you know. And it's funny to watch them grow because that, that all changes. Their, their temperament, you know, now they're starting to be more expressive, and the introverted one is more expressive than, than, than they've been before, and the extroverted one is kind of, you know, kind of calmed down. It's amazing how that happens. And, and we see, I used to say, I used to say I had one, um, you give this one two toys, two square feet of room, and what you have is two hours of quietness. That was my uh, low-maintenance one. Two toys, two square feet of room, two hours of quietness. Uh, the other one would go through everything in the house and ransack everything uh, with any kind of uh, two hours by themselves type of thing. And so um, introverted, extroverted, surely I, I would tell you today I'm extremely extroverted. Um, I'll be out in the patio today. I hope you'll come up to me, especially if you're new. Come say hi to me. I love that. I get recharged when I talk to people. It doesn't drain me at all. I love it. I love it. That's why I'm out every, every Sunday. That's why I love talking to people. I'm trying to get to know names. There's hundreds of people here, but I'm trying real hard. Uh, I love that stuff. I'm extremely extroverted, um, and, and I'm expressive. But it's amazing. I've met people of different, um, uh, you know, people who are introverted and are very expressive, and people who are extroverted who aren't expressive. And I've often thought to myself, does temperament have any kind of a foothold as it comes to expression and worship? And I think I've come to the conclusion I'm not sure it does. Even though it's fun to watch my kids and the expressiveness and whatnot, and they're changing, ever-moving, all those things. But I'm not sure that expressiveness of worship has more to do about my temperament as it does about my home of origin. Um, I've met guys who would speak in front of 10,000 people, and if they got out in the back and tried to meet people, you would, it would be painfully obvious to you that it's very hard for them to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. But they can speak in front of thousands. And so I, I'm not sure that necessarily, it's more maybe of a home of origin type of thing. What, what did I grow up with? We talked about last week. What was the style of music when I kind of hit, hit the road with my relationship with God? Uh, what was popular that time? That's always going to be like a, a, my heart spot is going to be there. Where I love that type of worship. I love that type of expression because that's the kind of expression that was there when God got a hold of me. And so, so that has something to do with it. What type of church you grew up in, what's, what your parents are like in church, all those type of things will uh, affect temperament and worship. So I'm, or expression and worship more than temperament. So I'm not sure that it has much to do about temperament, maybe be more home of origin, but it's a great question to ask nonetheless. Is there a specific type of expression that God expects of me during worship? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you've asked it in your heart and you're kind of scared to ask anybody else. Is there some way that I'm supposed to be worshiping God that I'm not doing right now? Has God specifically assigned us to participate in a certain form of expression during worship? Is there a right way or a wrong way to express myself in the setting of a gathering of worship or individually in worship? Am I worshiping wrong because I'm too expressive? 
or maybe I'm too non-expressive. Which one's right and which one's wrong? For that, we're going to go in the Bible. So open your Bible up. Uh, we're going to be at Psalm 95, so you want to get there. Uh, we're going to look at a lot of passages today, and we're going to ask the question you'll see on the screen. What does God have to say about how I should express myself in worship? That's the question we're trying to answer today. What does God uh, have to say about how I should express myself in worship? And so what we've done here, if you have a Bible, I want you to open up because we want you, want you to verify that everything I'm saying comes straight from the Word of God and I haven't made anything up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'll have it on the screens for you. But if you have your phone, open up your phone, open up the, the app, and, and definitely go there. What does God have to say about how I should express myself in worship? First, we're going to look at a, a collective expression when we gather together. And then later on today, we're going to look at an individual expression as well. But first, let's start with collective expression. So when we gather together in this musical element that we call worship of God, counting God worthy, uh, proclaiming the worthyship of God, is there a specific expression that he expects out of me? And so we're going to look at Psalm 95, verses 1 through 5. It says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God. He's a great king above all gods. His hands are, in his hands are the depths of the earth. The mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry land. And so we see from the very beginning of this passage, the very beginning of the verse, let us, worship, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Does that seem like something that is expressively quiet or expressively loud? What would you call that? I don't know. Maybe the word shout gives you some kind of indication. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. That scene that turns into shouting, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. What does that mean, the rock of our salvation? The picture here is this is a people group 